My name's John Redman. I'm the associate pastor at First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas, and I want to welcome you to Peace by Believing. On today's program, we're going to be talking about the devil. Now, the bad news is there is a devil. I wish there weren't. I wish there was no such thing as the devil, but there is. But the good news is God has given us a way to have victory over the devil. And so in today's message, we're going to be thinking about how we can beat the devil at his own game. And I pray this sermon will be a blessing to you. Last Sunday night, we had a great Lord's Supper service here at the 630 hour. And after the service, I went home. And if you remember last Sunday night, about 830 or so, the bottom just fell out. And I mean, it rained hard for about an hour. Well, anyway, I had gotten home and I still had the garage door open and I guess about 9.30 or 10, I went back to the garage. I said, well, I better close the garage door and uh, get ready for bed. And when I did, I looked on the floor of the garage, and I saw a snake. I know. That's exactly what I did when I saw that snake, just what you did. And I thought, well, i got to kill that rascal. So I went over and got a shovel and cut its head off. Well, when I was putting the shovel up, I saw two more little snakes. Now, to be fair, because I don't ever want to be dishonest with For the sake of the argument, these could have been long worms, okay? They could have been. But for the purpose of this illustration, these were venomous snakes, okay? Boa constrictors were in my garage last. So I went back and I got the shovel and I said, well, I'm going to do to to two and three what I did to number one here. And I just cut those snakes right in half. Now, it's the first time I had killed a snake in a while. We've probably all had this experience. And you know when you kill a snake, even though you've killed it, it's still squirming around for a while. And I thought, well, I'm going to just watch and see how long it takes for these snakes to to die. And about five or six minutes later, we had the funeral right there in the garage. But for those five or six minutes, while I was watching those three snakes just kind of squirm around my garage, I thought, those snakes are a picture of the devil. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he cut the head off the snake. He, he defeated the devil. The Bible is clear about that. His death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, he defeated the devil at the devil's point of strength, sin, and death. And Jesus came back to life. So the devil is a defeated foe, but he is still a foe. He's still squirming around. In fact, the Bible says it's stronger than that. The Bible says he goes about like a roaring what? a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So from a spiritual perspective, the devil is defeated. But from a practical daily perspective, we still deal with the devil. He's still wreaking havoc in the world, in nations, in families, in individual lives. The devil is the one who puts thoughts in your mind of fear about the future. The devil is the one who makes you feel guilty about sins that God has already forgiven. The devil is the one who tries to paralyze you and put you in a, in a vice grip of discouragement or even depression. And so anytime you're experiencing those emotions or those thoughts, you know that is the devil coming against you. And so God in his word has given us a prescription or a, a way, a game plan as it were, for us to defeat the devil in our own lives. So if you'll open your Bibles to Revelation chapter number 12, 
In this passage of Scripture, we're reading about a group of Christians who learned how to defeat the devil. The Bible says they defeated their enemy. Now, the interesting thing about this passage is they haven't actually defeated him yet because what the Bible is describing in Revelation 12 hasn't even happened yet. It is a future event, and yet since God knows everything, God is able to look at this future event and write about it in the past tense. And so God says, and we'll look at the verse in a minute, that they overcame past tense him, the devil, and then it tells us how they did that. Now, so this will make a little bit more sense. Let's think just for a moment about this event that is yet to happen. We know from the scriptures that the next thing that's going to happen on God's prophetic clock is the rapture of the church. That means there's coming a day, the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where there's going to be a shout from heaven. There's going to be a voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God is going to sound. The dead in Christ, that is those dead bodies of Christians, are going to come up out of the grave. They'll be reunited with their living resurrected souls, and at that time, they will receive their resurrected bodies. We know that when a Christian dies today, the Christian soul goes to heaven. That Christian is alive, but their body goes to the grave. I have four grandparents in heaven right now. And uh, they are in recognizable bodies. They're alive and well, happier than they've ever been. But they have not received their resurrection body yet. That won't happen until the rapture, when their body comes out and is reunited with their living and immortal soul. After that happens, the Bible says those of us who are still living at that moment, and it could happen today or tomorrow, it could happen anytime, we're going to be caught up. That's where the word rapture, rapture is a, is a Latin word, but it's translated caught up. And we're going to be caught up or raptured up. We're going to meet the Lord in the air. He's going to take us to heaven. My understanding of Scripture is as soon as we get there, we will experience the judgment seat of Christ where we will be judged for all of our works, how we've lived our lives, whether or not we were faithful to the responsibilities God gave us, and we will be given our rewards at that time. That is not a judgment for sin. For those of us who are saved, Jesus took the judgment for our sin when he died on that cross. Amen? So we'll never have to be judged for our sins, but only for our, uh, how we've lived our lives. And so we'll be up there at the judgment seat of Christ. But during that period of time on the earth, there will be a time of suffering like this world has never known. In fact, the Bible describes it as a seven-year period of great tribulation. Now, at the beginning of these seven years, at the rapture, all of us who are saved, we're taken to heaven. So when the tribulation begins, there are no saved people on the earth, only those who were never saved. And so if you think the world is bad today, and it's got lots of problems our world does going on, just imagine if you took out all the Christians from the world, and now you've just got a bad world, really, that has gotten worse because so many of, uh, of, of, of the good people, so many Christians have been taken out of the world. Well, during this seven-year period, things are going to be chaotic, and there's going to be all kind of things, even in the atmosphere and nature that are happening, and there's not going to be any peace. And so the Antichrist is going to rise up, and he's going to basically say, if you people will follow me, I will give you peace. He's going to make a, a peace treaty with the nation of Israel. 
And he's going to say to them, if you'll follow me, I'll let you Jewish people rebuild your temple there in Jerusalem. There's no temple in Jerusalem. That hasn't been there since 70 AD. Jews worship in synagogues today. They don't offer sacrifices anymore. But during the tribulation, they'll rebuild the temple. And they will begin again to offer their sacrifices to God. Because the Antichrist will make that possible. And so the Jews are going to be thinking, wow, this is wonderful. We finally get to rebuild our temple. At the three and a half year mark of the tribulation, the Antichrist will break his covenant, his peace treaty with Israel. He'll begin to persecute the Jewish people. Throughout this seven year period of time, there will be people who get saved, Jews. The Bible says 144,000 Jews will get saved. And then a large number of Gentiles, that's non-Jews, There'll be a lot of people during the tribulation get saved. Maybe they heard the gospel during their lifetime and, uh, you know, and they never got saved. Now it's after the rapture, they get saved. Maybe they read a gospel track or a book or who knows how, but there's going to be a lot of people to get saved. And when they get saved, since the Antichrist is in control, he is going to say not only to those who have gotten saved, but to those who remain unsaved, in order for you to function in civilization as we now know it, you must pledge your allegiance to me. And the way for you to pledge your allegiance to me is to take the mark of the beast. And we read about this in Revelation chapter 13. The mark of the beast is the number 666. Why six? Because six is the number of imperfection. We know that seven is God's number, the number of perfection. Six is man's number. We have fallen short of God's glory. Why three sixes? Because the number three is a number of completion. And so when you have three sixes, you have complete imperfection. And that's who the Antichrist is. He's completely imperfect. And he's going to make everybody take the mark of the beast, either on their hand or on their forehead. And if they don't take it, They can't go shopping, they can't buy food, they can't buy water, they can't do anything, and so people living during the tribulation will be forced to make this decision. Do I take the mark of the beast so that I can go to Walmart or so that I can go to the grocery store and buy food for my family, or do I refuse the mark of the beast, pledge instead my allegiance to Jesus Christ, forfeit my right for food and clothing, even at the expense of my family, so that I can remain true to Jesus. Well, what we know from the Scripture, those who are saved during the tribulation will refuse to take the mark of the beast. If you take the mark of the beast, it's a sign you're not saved. At that point, you've passed God's deadline. You never could get saved anyway because you've sold your soul to the devil. So the Christians are going to refuse to take the mark of the beast. In fact, then we read in Revelation chapter 20 that many of these Christians are actually going to be killed for their faith. The scripture says they're going to be beheaded for their faith in Jesus Christ. And so what I'm saying to you is, during this seven-year period of great tribulation, the Antichrist will be having a heyday on the earth. Things will be worse than they have ever been. And yet, there is this group of Christians known as tribulation saints. Saints because they're saved. Tribulation saints, because they got saved during the tribulation, and even though they refuse to take the mark of the beast, they can't buy and sell, many of them will be beheaded, the Bible says this group of Christians who are going through persecution in ways that we could never imagine, 
They will figure out a way to overcome the devil. That's why we're singing this morning about you, we shall overcome by the word of, blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. So look in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. This is our key verse for this morning because the whole point of this message is to say this. If tribulation saints living under those conditions can overcome the devil then we can overcome the devil in our lives today, and we do it the same way they will one day do it. Verse number 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Let's say that part together. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And then it says, and they did not love their lives to the death. That word overcome literally means subdue, prevail, conquer, have victory over. What does the Bible say? The Bible is saying these tribulation saints, through the power of Jesus Christ, who will be living in them, figured out a way in life to conquer the devil, to overcome the devil, prevail against the devil, have victory over the devil, overcome the devil, not in their own strength, but in the strength of Jesus Christ, who was, who's living in them. And friend, listen, what we need to understand, that same Jesus is living in us if we've ever been saved. And so if people can overcome the devil during the tribulation, then we can overcome the devil today if we will do what we have to do in order to overcome him. Now, if you have your bulletin today, I want to show you two things. I want to make two statements. And it's just this simple. This is how we defeat the devil in our lives. It's how we get free of guilt and anxiety and nervousness and bondage and, and uh, all these things in life that can mess us up. If we will, do, fear is a huge thing the devil uses. First of all, we have to put our focus on Jesus. Now, when you write that down, write it down uh, in the second person. Put your focus on Jesus. The devil in your life and in mine, wants us to think about everything but Jesus. He wants us to think about our sinful past. He wants us to think about people that may be causing some problems. He wants us to think about illnesses. He wants us to think about financial problems. He wants us to worry about the future. The devil will put enough things in your mind to keep you from focusing on Jesus if you'll let him. But this group of tribulation saints, the way they overcame the devil, they put their focus on Jesus. What did they do? The, they put their focus on the blood of the lamb. Now, we've all had times and we all do have times when the devil will come and put a thought in our mind of fear or doubt or guilt or worry or whatever. And the way that we respond to that is that's what determines whether or not the devil wins or we win. And if we take that bait, if we take the thought that he puts in our mind and run with it, he wins. And we're no longer living the abundant life. We're living a defeated life. But if we can figure out how to respond to these thoughts that he's putting in our minds, then we get the upper hand over the devil again through Jesus Christ, and we can overcome him. And so whatever thought, whatever negative thought that the devil puts in your mind, you have to respond to that thought by focusing on Jesus and more specifically, his blood. Now... The title of the sermon today is How to Beat the Devil at His Own Game. Well, what is his game? His game is intimidation, 
His game is accusation. His game is condemnation. His game is confusion. That's the devil's game. So he's going to be putting all these thoughts in your mind. So how do we beat the devil at his own game? Okay, here's the thought the devil has put in my mind. Now, what I have to learn to do, I have to know enough of the Bible so that when he puts a thought like this in my mind, I can respond to that thought from a biblical perspective. Just like Jesus did when Jesus was tempted. He, when the devil came to him and said all these temptations, Jesus didn't argue with the devil. He didn't uh, reason with the devil. He knew the Bible, and he used the Bible against the devil, and he defeated the devil at his own game. So when the devil comes at you, for example, let's just begin with the most obvious thing the devil would come at you against, would be guilt. Because we've all, even since we got saved, we have sinned and done things and said things we wish we wouldn't have had, and we've asked God to forgive us, and God has forgiven us, and yet sometimes, even though we know we're forgiven, we feel bad about it. And so the devil comes, and he says things like, what you did was so bad, or what you said was so bad, or your attitude was so bad, or whatever the thing was, it was so bad that God... They can tell you down there at the church, God forgave you, and maybe he did, but it really doesn't. Maybe you go to heaven one day, but still, God's not, God's not pleased with you because of that sin in your life. Now, how are you going to respond to that? Well, if you know the Bible, you respond to it like this. You'll say, you'll start thinking about Jesus. Now, how would Jesus have me to respond to that? You start thinking about the blood. What does the blood, how would the blood respond? Well, wait a second. The blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. So, you know what? Here's how we're going to beat the devil at his own game. He's going to condemn me, and I'm going to hear his condemnation, but I'm going to respond to that condemnation by focusing on Jesus and thanking him for his blood, for his grace, for his mercy, and his forgiveness. And so now the devil's condemnation is leading us to worship and thank Jesus for how great his forgiveness is. And so the devil has to look back and change his strategy because he says, you know what? I used to throw those old sins up in their mind and really get them feeling low and down and rotten and like the scum of the earth. And now I'm throwing the same thoughts at them. And yet, instead of letting it pull them down, they're using that as an occasion to thank God for how great God is with his forgiveness. So the first thing is the blood of Jesus forgives us of our sin. Tell you something else the devil will put in your mind. Maybe you've been diagnosed with cancer or some other disease, and uh, the devil will put in your mind, well, you're never going to recover from this. Maybe you've got some other health issue or heart problem, and the devil will say, well, you're going to have this the rest of your life. This is going to shorten your life. How are you going to respond to that? Well, yeah, I guess it probably is. Maybe I'm living on my last leg, you know. No, that's how the devil would have you to re- living in fear, and every time you have an ache or pain, you think, well, that must be something bad. That's, that's not how you, live, how you live as a Christian. Just like the blood of Jesus is strong enough to forgive us our sins, the blood of Jesus is plenty strong enough to heal our physical bodies. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, not only does his death provide forgiveness and salvation, but his death provides healing for any and every illness. Now, it is a mystery to me why this person gets sick and God heals them, and this person gets sick, and they die, but they were saved, so we know they go to heaven, and we think, well, how come this person was healed, and this person was not healed? Well, first of all, if this person was saved, they're healed now. Their death was their healing, but whether we get healed on the earth, or whether we get healed in heaven, that's not the important thing. Part of 
what is included in salvation is the healing of our bodies. Think about it. Think about it like this. Had there never been any sin, there never would be any sickness. All sickness is ultimately the result of the fact that we live in a fallen, sinful world. Now, that doesn't mean that sickness is a result of your individual sin. It could be that, but most likely that's not it at all. But sickness is a result of the fact that we live in a sinful world. And even death, think about this. Had there not been any sin, there never would be any death. And so when Jesus was dying on that cross, he was saying, first and foremost, the purpose for this death is to pay for the people's sins. But with, since I'm dealing with sin, I'm also dealing with everything connected to sin. And part of that is sickness. And part of that is death. And so Jesus' blood heals us of all of our diseases. Now, turn back to Matthew chapter 8. I'll show you a very interesting verse that I never had noticed until several years ago. And I came across this verse and I thought, well, that's interesting. Because I've always guessed, I've been under the impression that the death of Jesus was only for the purpose of forgiving us of our sins. And again, I want to say that is the primary purpose. But since sickness is associated with living in a sinful world, he's provided healing for that. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. Now look at verse 17. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities, now watch this, and bore our sicknesses. Some translations say, and bore our diseases. And so when Jesus died on that cross, it was for sin, but it was also for everything that has resulted from sin. And so when the devil comes to you and says, well, you know, you got this bad diagnosis, you need to, under, you need to think, you know what, Jesus, I just thank you that I'm healed. I thank you that you've, you've already healed that illness in my body. I'm praying that, it will, that, I, will, that I will realize this illness, this, illness from my, my, this healing of my illness while I'm here on the earth. But if I'm not healed on earth, I'm going to be healed in heaven. From your perspective, see, if you're here today sick with some sickness, God is able to look at your healing, which hasn't happened yet in your body. But he's able to talk about your healing in the past tense. And so from God's perspective, you're already healed. You don't know when it's just, just like these people in Revelation 12. They, the tribulation hasn't even started yet. It is a future event. And yet God is saying they overcame in the past tense. Why? Because to God, it's already a done deal. And so your healing is already a done deal to God. The blood of Jesus provides that. Well, our focus is so very important. Whatever we focus on dominates our thinking, it dominates our minds, and whatever dominates our minds tends to dominate our lives. The Bible says, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. So if our thinking is messed up, our lives are going to be messed up. But if our thinking is right, then our lives are going to be right as well. And so, for example, when it comes to the devil, we can either focus on all the sins we've committed, all the things we've done wrong, or we can focus on God's forgiveness and the blood of Jesus and how we have been cleansed by that blood. We can focus on a sickness that we might be facing in our bodies, 
or we can focus on the fact that God is our healer. He is the one who heals sick bodies. And so our focus is, uh, is the key, really, to living a victorious Christian life. If you focus on the devil's lies, you're going to end up living a defeated life. If, on the other hand, you focus on the truth of God's Word, you're going to live a life of peace and a life of victory, and you're going to be an overcomer. You know, I've noticed when it comes to the devil, some people, and this is certainly something we would never want to do, but some people, they just underestimate the power of the devil. They just live like there is no devil, and that's a dangerous thing because we need to be aware of the devil and his schemes and his devices. But there are some Christians who seem to be obsessed by the devil. They overestimate the devil. and to hear them talk, the devil did this and the devil did that, and that and the devil is kind of like the devil's behind every bush. And so, just thinking more about the devil than they are about God, and that's a terrible mistake too. Our focus should not be on the devil. Our focus should be on Jesus Christ. Yes, we want to be aware of the devil. We want to be informed about how he operates and what he does. But we don't want to be devil-minded. We want to be Jesus-minded. We don't want to be always thinking about the devil. We want to be thinking about Jesus. The Bible says that he who is in you, that's Jesus, is greater than he who is in the world. And so I encourage you, put your focus off of the devil. Put your focus onto Jesus and let him give you victory.